This morning's scripture comes from Matthew 26, 6 through 13. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. If you would have a seat and uh, please join me in prayer over God's word. God and Father, uh, your word stands before us, uh, not as an indictment this morning, but as an invitation uh, to come into your uh, loving mercy, your grace, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn, uh, Lord, what is the time? Uh, Is it a time for uh, pragmatism and for the poor, or will they always be with us? Is it a time for Jesus? Uh, Lord, help us to know uh, what the right answers to these things are, not just uh, today out of your word, but Lord, uh, moving into the rest of the week. We pray your grace on your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you know anything about me, if we've been close at all, you probably know that I'm a little bit of a watch geek. I'm talking about timepieces, like not watching things, but like actual wristwatches. I, I like them very much, and it's more than just like a materialistic you know, thing, though I'm sure that there's quite a lot of that mixed in there. It is actually a genuine appreciation for uh, uh, just the idea that God created time at all, or for uh, engineering and mechanical things, or for beauty, for heritage, for things that we uh, might give to our kids or our grandkids. Uh, these kinds of things fascinate me a little bit, and I've imparted some of this, uh, as you might know, to my son as well. Uh, Jackson, on his 13th birthday, we went on a manly walkabout of sorts to learn about life, to learn about some new things. He's turning 13, and so uh, I decided to give him a watch. Um, He had had his eye on one. It wasn't personally my taste, but I liked it okay, and so I decided to give it to him because he liked it, but I gave it to him with a purpose uh, in mind, not just simply to give him a material possession, but I gave it to him with a word uh, that he might carry along with him. My word was this, real men, Jackson, know what time it is. They know what time it is. And of course, I mean that in a literal sense. I like watches, but they, I mean it in a metaphorical way as well. And all of us have a different sensibility about what time it actually is. And, and we, might, uh, we might treasure, like fasten ourselves to different ways of thinking about what time it might be. Should we think about our time individualistically or kind of collectively? Should we be pragmatic or idealistic? Should we be reasonable or filled with emotion? These are the kinds of things that we can use to process what the present moment might call for. Uh, in your marriage, you face this uh, all the time. Is it now a time for blatant reason and figuring something out and finding a solution? Or is it a time to sit in the emotion of it all? Knowing what time it is is a matter of wisdom. 
None of these is always right or always wrong. It's not always right to be individualistic or always wrong to be individualistic. It's not always right to think communally and collectively. And of course, it's not always wrong either. But wisdom is knowing what the moment calls for. Today, here, you might be thinking, how in the world does this apply? And of course, if we look very carefully at this scripture, we learn something about what time it is. We learn this particular wise and spiritual lesson from a wise and spiritually sensitive woman named Mary. And, and what she ultimately teaches us, if you wanted to kind of put it into a sentence this morning, and it's not going to have alliteration, so I'm sorry for those of you who always laugh at me because of this, uh, but I can defend every one of them. We can go back through it. I will defend the alliteration. This morning, though, the, the thing that I feel like I've kind of extracted from the text, what I want for us to walk away with is that Christian life is a beautiful, expensive act of service in honor of Jesus. Christian life is a beautiful but expensive act of service bestowing honor on our great Savior, Jesus. And, and what we're going to do this morning is actually step back through three episodes that we see this young woman named Mary in. We're going to take a look at each one of the episodes, so we're not just going to stay here in this text this morning. But first, before we even get there, we need to know a little bit about Jesus's relationship with Mary. And in John chapter 11, verse 2, it says specifically, it's specific, how wonderful would this be to know exactly where you stand? with Jesus. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He loved them. No, no, no equivocation, no wondering. Mary was someone who Jesus loved. In fact, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings that lived in Bethany. Bethany was this place east of Jerusalem, not far, on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, and these were his friends. In fact, right before this, we don't see it necessarily right here in this text, but right before this, if you get the chronology right, you might understand that Lazarus, Mary's brother, was raised by Jesus. That Jesus had actually, and we're going to deal with this this morning, he had actually fallen asleep. He had died specifically. Jesus is really specific about this. He had died, and Jesus went and raised him from the grave. And of course, raising somebody from the grave was something that really caught everybody's attention. We're going to actually discuss a little bit about that this morning. But what Jesus did immediately after that was actually went to the wilderness. He had stopped kind of marching alongside big groups of Jews because his time had not yet come. So we see Jesus kind of retreat into the wild, and while he was there, the Pharisees gave orders to arrest Jesus. In fact, they were trying to co-opt people and ask them, where is he, if you'll turn him into us? But then Jesus emerges, we find, six days before the Passover at this dinner that was given for him. There's a party that's thrown in his honor there in Bethany, not in Jerusalem, but outside Jerusalem. So Jesus reemerges, and everybody that was a part of this uh, big thing of raising Lazarus decides, let's throw a party. And what we need to know is who's there? Who is it that is attending this party? And we find out in verse 6 here, Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. 
We find in other gospels that Lazarus was there. Lazarus wasn't going to miss this party. So you've got this leper that we're going to assume was healed because nobody would have gone to his house if he wasn't. Jesus probably healed Simon the leper and he was so grateful that he opened his house and threw this big party. And the recently deceased Lazarus was very confusingly there and sitting on the couch, I'm sure. And in John chapter 12, we see that a large crowd of Jews came on the account of Jesus, but also to see who? To see Lazarus. That's kind of the setting of all of this. In fact, if we want to get really into it, you need to know something about Lazarus as well. The chief priests had decided that since Lazarus had been raised from the grave, that they needed to put him to death again. In fact, it said that the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death for a specific specific purpose. Because of him, quote, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So what we need to get is the setting here. Who's here? Well, it's these suburban women that are outside of the real you know, place that uh, everything's happening in Jerusalem. So they're kind of nobodies to the Pharisees and chief priests. Then you've got this previous leper that nobody knows what to deal with. Are you still distancing yourself from him? Are you accepting the fact that his skin has been healed and you can see it? And then there's this man named Lazarus who is recently dead, who you really wouldn't have wanted to come into contact with if you had been a Jew, because you would have been like, well, you used to be dead, and I'm not sure how that completely relates to my purity, cleanliness uh, as a Jew. And so this was a very hodgepodge group of people, a large crowd had gathered around them. And what we need to kind of pull out of this, and it's the first note that you have this morning, is that Jesus loves the lowly. He didn't pull in the scribes and the chief priests. He didn't pull in the lawyers. He didn't pull in Bethany's best and brightest and say, hey, let's have a party to celebrate me. Instead, the party was for Jesus to spend time with the lowly. And now that we've got kind of an idea of what all of this looks like, I want for us to turn very quickly over to Luke Uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to spend a little bit of time in verses 38 through 42, so join with me there. If you don't have a Bible, we uh, can provide you one. We'd be uh, pleased to do that. But in verse 38, it says this, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. This is the same Mary of Bethany, the same Martha who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary is found where? If we looked at this passage, where is she found? She's found at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. Conversely, Martha's hospitality is keeping her distracted with much serving. 
Lord, do you not care? Jesus has not been asked this once. He's been asked this many times. Lord, do you not care? And what Jesus does is only he can is he pinpoints the issue. Martha is anxious and troubled and distracted, but Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary seems to know what time it is. It's not time for work, but it's time for abiding at Jesus' feet, simply to listen to him. This is going to become very important in a moment when we try to kind of extract what we need to know about learning what time it is from Mary. But I want to ask you very quickly, what, is it, what, is, what good things even are there in your life that are causing you anxiety, that are troubling you, that are distracting you? Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's kids' sports, maybe it's a temper tantrum, maybe it's your job, maybe it's trouble within your marriage. Whatever it is that might be distracting you, we can look at Mary here this morning and find that sometimes the right place for you to be, even when it seems like there are so many things that are commanding and demanding all of your affections, all of your troubles, all of your worries, is just simply to be at the foot of Jesus following his and listening to his teaching. That's what time it was for Mary. But I also want to go to one other famous passage in John chapter 12 and talk a little here about what it is that we might learn also from Mary, starting in verse 20. Verse 20 says this, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary this time, not at the feet of Jesus, remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Of course, this is the conversation that happens after Jesus decides to wait several days and then comes to see his friend Lazarus. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in, again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So, so on the surface, and in a very real way, we see that Martha uh, doesn't stay at home. She hears that Jesus, the healer, is coming, and she goes out to meet him. And on the surface, this seems a very good thing, right? She goes there and meets him on the road, and she says and exclaims to him, if you had been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died, but maybe, maybe there's a chance even now that if you ask God, maybe. So it seems on the surface a very good thing. In fact, she calls him Lord here, and she correctly says that if uh, you asked anything from God, that he would do it. And what he does is he teaches her something in that moment. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe it? She says, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. But then... Martha does a very peculiar thing. She leaves Jesus, and she goes there to her sister, Mary, who's still sitting in the house, sitting in her grief, and she says, this time, not, not the Lord, but the teacher. 
It's a very slight nuance. I'm not sure how much is really there, but it's changed from Lord to, hey, this man instructed me on something, and I do believe it, but I'm coming here to tell you that your teacher is calling for you as well. He's no longer Lord. He is teacher. Verse 32 says this, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his what? Feet. We get the idea that, uh, that the Spirit is guiding Mary, but the Spirit is also aligning these things in Scripture to see, for us to see even today, that our posture really matters. And when Jesus saw her there weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled. And what happened? Very famously, church, he weeps. The first time he teaches Martha comes and stands face to face with him, and he teaches her. But this time, Mary, sensitive in the spirit, comes and throws herself, weeping at Jesus' feet. And what does Jesus do? He teaches her. No, he weeps alongside of her, grieves what all of these people have seen in death, because he hates death, and he hates the things that they are experiencing. So we do see there is a time for being irrational, and we see that there is a time for being emotional. But honestly, here, what I think we see is that Jesus is most concerned, and this is the second thing in your notes this morning, he is most concerned with our affections. A lot of times we uh, wrangle, is this the moment for reason and for rationale? Or is it a time for emotion to win, emotionalism to be a part of our lives? Don't tell me how to feel. What I'd rather do, beloved, is see this as an opportunity to change this and see it as affections. Not emotional, not emotionalism, but a person that knows the affections in their heart and is willing to be vulnerable at Jesus' feet and then give it to him. Maybe you find it easy metaphorically speaking, to join with Martha and to work or to go up and to go to Jesus. But many of us don't know when it is time simply to throw ourselves at his feet and weep. We're learning a lot from Mary about what time it is. And what I want to do is take that kind of previous context of their relationship with Jesus, and I want to import that back into the passage at hand this morning. So if you would, turn back to Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, and I want to begin applying some of these things. So we know that the woman that comes up to Jesus with this alabaster flask is Mary. Verse 7 says this, A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. In fact, we're told in the Greek that it's a lira. It's about 12 ounces. So if you think about a 12-ounce uh, receptacle, that's about how much of this there was. And it was genuine nard. That's what we're told that it is, and we don't use that word anymore, but it is derived from a, the root of a real and still existing Indian plant. Ultimately, what this was was perfume. And what we're told is, and I want to hang a lot on this word, it, it was very expensive. In fact, even in this day, it was uh, so expensive that it was often diluted down to where it wasn't pure the way that this was, that we're told that it was. 
in other gospels. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that uh, people even tried to get the genuine article of. Very often they would fake this kind of stuff and sell it in the marketplace. So we are told that this was very expensive because it was real, it was not fake. And we're even told specifically about uh, what it is that it could have been sold from a large sum. In fact, in other gospels, we're told that it could have been sold for around 300 denarii. Denarii was about, one denarii was about one day's wage of labor. So for 300 of it, it's almost a full year's worth of wages. Now, oftentimes we can skate by those kinds of facts, but what I want you to think of is how much is your mortgage as a total portion of your entire income? Now I want you to compare that to a little flask of something that was worth almost a year's worth of your work. It's very expensive. Very expensive. We're told it was very expensive. And what does she do? Continue with me. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. What, what was this? It's very unusual. If you came to my house and I dumped a, a, a Dr. pepper size thing of perfume on your head, you'd be very angry with me. That, well, what this was was something that was, uh, it was a little bit more usual during the day. It was a showing of honor. It was something that you might use to bless someone with. Uh, blessing people with oil would have been a very common part of something that you might do with people that come into your house. But this was very uncommon because of how expensive it was. So she honors Jesus in this way. In fact, we're told specifically a couple of things that I want to pull out of John chapter 11. It says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and, we're given this extra detail here in John, wiped his feet with her hair. Now, a lot of people have mistaken this and tried to uh, put together uh, uh, two different Marys that are in Scripture. One was a uh, woman of the night that came in and uh, cleaned Jesus' feet with her tears. That's not this Mary. What we're actually being told is, is that he didn't, she didn't just anoint him from head. She also anointed his feet with the ointment using her very own hair. The point is, is that this was very intimate. It was a very uh, intimate and public thing that she was doing. In fact, we're told that the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So everybody is now paying attention to what has happened. They can't get away from it. It's something that is filling the air. In fact, there is something that I want you to take with you through the rest of this week. As we approach from this Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter, there are so many little details about Jesus' life during this time that I find very worshipful just to take with me. One is, is that Jesus at this time is at the end of a fairly long fast. Jesus is probably shrunken. He's probably a little gaunt. He's, uh, he's been wasting away a little bit. And now, get the visual, you've got this Jesus that's slightly emaciated, and now he smells like perfume. He smells of this nard that he's been anointed from head to toe. And this isn't just something that would have worn off in a day's time. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit more about why I think that it probably stuck with him all the way through the week. This is the Jesus that approaches this Passion Week. Mary is a very important part of it. 
Then we have to deal with the other person in the story. We're told in the other two stories, the other two episodes that we kind of looked at, that Martha was the person that was being juxtaposed with Mary's sensibility. Here we actually see that it's not Martha, it's the disciples. Verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? This could have been sold and given to the poor. We see elsewhere that this was kind of instigated by Judas Iscariot, who uh, the scriptures say helped himself to the money. So he was probably somebody that was some sort of accountant. We're not told that he was a tax collector, but he was somebody that had uh, some dealings with money before he was called into this group of disciples. And so he was kind of the person that held on to all of the alms and tithes that were given and ultimately was in charge of going and uh, buying food for people and things like this. And we're told that he was actually a thief that he helped himself to that money. He's the one that's instigating this. He saw all of that money that could have been put in his charge that he could have greedily gained from, and he's instigating with all of these other disciples. We could have sold that. It could have gone for much better purposes than putting perfume on Jesus. And they were indignant. In fact, it just means that they were kind of uh, jarring her. They were making fun of her. They were doing something that caused Jesus to put an end to it. So ultimately, we see that on the surface, this seems like a real and pragmatic concern. If somebody came in here today and wasted something that was worth a year's worth of wages, you and I might be similarly tempted to chastise that person for being wasteful. But Jesus sees what's really going on. He sees also what's going on in his disciples, and he says this in verse 10. Jesus, aware of this, said, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing. That's the second word that I kind of want to hang some things on this morning. So what she did was expensive, number one. And number two, it was something that was beautiful. What kind of time is this? What kind of moment is this for Mary? She's not worried about the pragmatism and the frugality of it. This is a time for a grand gesture of love. This man that had raised her brother from the dead is now here, back in Bethany after being in the wilderness. She knows and has heard rumblings about the Pharisees being after him and wanting to put him and her brother to death. And she says, this is the moment. I'm going to show great honor. And Jesus calls it beautiful. She knows what time it is. Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. You will always have the poor with you, very pragmatic, but you will not always have me. In pouring ointment, this ointment on my body, he says, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Man, what, what a picture this is. But what do, we, what do we pull out of it? What is it that we need to get out of all of this? Is this only a grand gesture of love? Here's where my Bible study uh, took a real turn this week. 
And it was something that, I've got to be honest from the stage, uh, I haven't found in any commentaries. Uh, It's something that was a new thought to me. I hadn't ever had this before. And so I can't tell you that my interpretation of this is exactly correct. But I want to try to prove up something to you this morning. And I want to begin with a question. The question is this. Why did Mary have this flask of ointment that was worth a year's worth of wages? In my Bible study, I try to ask questions like that from the text. I try to make observations around it and try to answer those interpretive questions. It's kind of how I study Scripture. And what I discovered, I think, is the answer to that question. Why does she have this at all? And it's not because she was very involved in the essential oils movement of the time. Okay? It's not that she was really into like things that secured like your capital, like uh, a good holder of currency. Like she wasn't really into Bitcoin and thought, well, I don't want 300 denarii just sticking around. That's very easy to steal. I'll get this anonymous flask and I'll have it be something that's very valuable. I don't think that that's what she was after, like a store of value of some kind. I also don't think that she was extremely rich and just had this nard like sitting around for a rainy day. Here's what I think, especially my readings from John and seeing this in the sequence and like how quickly all of this happened. I think she had bought it for her brother. I think that what had happened with this grieved woman was that she had cried out for Jesus to come, that he arrived late and her brother had passed away, had died, and that when he had come, he was several days in the tomb, but it was very common for them to return and there and and, and apply different ointments and spices and these sorts of things to mask the smell of death. I think that she had bought this for her brother. And I think what happened was is that when Jesus raised him from the grave, she no longer had use of this nard that she needed to go and put and pour all over her brother. I mean, think about like needing that much perfume, right? She didn't need all of that unless she was going to treat the deceased. I think the most likely biblical explanation for why she had this is that she had bought it for Lazarus, but now Lazarus is alive. So that led me to ask this question. What if this woman, Mary, listening to Jesus' teaching at his feet, being very open and vulnerable to absorb the things that he had said, knows what time it is? What if she knows what time it is? Jesus, uh, oftentimes in his ministry, would speak in parables. He'd speak very cryptically, and people would be like, what are you saying, Jesus? And other times, it says that he would speak very plainly, and he would say, the Son of Man, that's me, has to suffer many things, and I've got to be rejected by all of the chief priests and the scribes. I've got to be put out by them, and then I've got to be killed. And then I'm going to rise on the third day. And everybody goes, what is he talking about? It's so cryptic. What if, what if Mary, sitting at his feet, had heard him say something like that and knew, just understood, that the giver of life, the one who gave my brother life, is going to be killed so that he can receive that life? What if she knew what time it was? 
I want to try to prove that I think that maybe she did. Jesus then says uh, says this. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Now, he could say that, thinking that Mary had done this thing that unwittingly she, you know, didn't know what she was doing, but she was doing it out of an overflow, out of a movement of the Spirit, and she did this thing. But what she didn't know was is that it was preparing me for burial, and now I'm teaching all of you that I'm about to die. That, that's probably the most likely thing. But, but honestly, he specifically says, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. What if she knows the time? She knows this is the hour. This is the hour that Jesus has come from. I think that the Spirit gives us a sweet glimpse of Jesus through the life of Mary here and is teaching us a few things about the gospel. Teaching us this week to be prepared for what is coming in the Passion Week. I think that the Spirit has something for us in this text because this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday where that crowd that was at Simon the leper's house went out and told other people. There were even Gentiles who were coming into town for the feasts there at Passover, and they all line up going into the city. And Jesus, fulfilling the prophecy, sits on a young colt of a donkey, and there on a paved road of palm leaves rides into the city. And most of the people are really perplexed, really confused about this. They're thinking, maybe here is the king that's been promised to us, that's coming for political reasons, and is going to raise us up to be a people over all peoples. The other people that have been listening to what Jesus had said might have been confused, just thinking, here is the new teacher, here's the new chief priest, here's somebody coming in to, uh, to help us with a spiritual revival. But for us, as we look at Jesus riding up this road, as we look at him going into the city, we ourselves are prepared. We know what time it is. On Palm Sunday, we know what time it is. As we look forward into this week, and I'm I'm going to leave this morning with some application points, but I'm going to leave this kind of open-ended so that we can be prepared for Good Friday. Jesus is going there, anointed from head to toe, with a perfume for death. Jesus has been prepared by this humble, wise, attentive woman to go there and face the cross, to die for sins, so that he is the person that can give life. But what do we learn from this gospel story this morning? What what do we learn from this glimpse that we get through Jesus? The first thing is, is that we learn that Christian life is expensive, okay? It's expensive. That's the word that the passage uses. She pulls out this ointment that is expensive. And here this morning, I'm not talking about perfumes. I'm not talking about spices. I'm not talking about anything for burial. But you know it. 
You know that it is true. The Christian life is one of vulnerability, just like Mary. It's one of displaying our affections like Mary. It's one submitted at Jesus' feet like Mary. It's one of being misunderstood like Mary. It's one of being slandered like Mary. The Christian life is expensive. The Christian life will cost you something, and it's not going to be cheap. Jesus comes along and tells us, if you would follow me, you've got to pick up your cross, bear it, and follow me. The Christian life is expensive, but it is not just expensive. It is also, Mary's life teaches us, beautiful. Mary's generosity and posture was beautiful because it glorified Jesus at the right time. For, for those of us who are in the midst of a life of sacrifice, significant, expensive sacrifice, what you need to hear this morning is, is that that sacrifice is actually beautiful. In the midst of a world that says that the more that you can accumulate, the more that you can pull in, the more that you can have, the more relationships look picture perfect, the more things that you can post on Facebook, the more things that you can brag about with the other families that are a part of your cohort at school, the more grades that you can make, the more money you can earn, the better your life is. And what I'm telling you is, is that the expense is what makes it beautiful because what you're doing by your posture, by your generosity is glorifying Jesus in the right moments of your life. Verse 13 says this, and it's a really wonderful place to uh, end this morning. And it's said to a specific woman at a specific time in a specific place, but I want to extract something for you this morning also. Truly, I say to you, where the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her that, that very verse so wonderfully this morning is being fulfilled in your hearing. You know who Mary is because Jesus so loved and treasured the expensive but also beautiful sacrifice that she was making so much that he promised the whole world that they would know about Mary. And what I want you to know this morning is, is that the expensive things in your life, the things that you give up for Jesus, the beautiful ways that you glorify him in your sacrifice have eternal consequences. They're real and they're good. They may not be written of in scripture, they won't be written of in scripture, but for eternal annals of, uh, of, of, of history that have yet to be written or read, we will know the ways that God is glorified in your life. Are you encouraged, church? Christian life is an expensive, beautiful act of service in honor of Jesus. This week, uh, we've, we've included the questions at the very bottom of the uh, handout. Um, we've got a DG guide for you. I want for you guys to ask and answer these questions really honestly that are down there. What things are, you, are really expensive in your life? Are you giving anything up? Let us know about those things in your groups. Do you see other people around you doing beautiful things to glorify Jesus? Let us celebrate those things. So I want to send you into the week with those questions. I want for you all to take those seriously. Think about them before a group. Be willing to say no if you don't see those things in yourself or in others. 
Be willing to be receptive and encouraged by the ways that Jesus is beautifully glorified in the people around you and celebrate those things. Let me pray for all of this. God and Father, Christian life is expensive. Lord, in many ways it uh, costs us our lives, but we know that it was most expensive for Jesus on the cross. We stand at the foothills of the Passion Week and we look up towards Jerusalem knowing that for our Savior that there is uh, celebration, there is also slander, there is false accusations, there is assault, there is stripping naked, there is beatings, there are nails, there is blood, there is death. But God and Father, we also know that there is resurrection Lord, that Lazarus was just a picture of what is to come for all of us because the one who was prepared as a prince and died as a criminal, Lord, will be raised on Easter, will remember it, but is the firstborn among all of us. God and Father, we're so grateful for your story of resurrection We ask you that you would help us be uh, filled with worship and awe this week. Lord, that we would be mindful of what this week stands for, for us in our faith. Lord, that we would be able to get um, back in this room one week from today and celebrate full-throatedly the resurrection of our Savior Jesus and all that that means for us. God and Father, we are eternally grateful for the ways that you have shown us um, what knowing what time looks like in your servant Mary. We ask you so much that you would help us to understand what it looks like to be willing to expend ourselves to serve Jesus. We ask you also that you would allow for us to know the beauty that is in the life of a Christian, know how deeply you treasure it, and know that it reverberates through eternity. But we're so grateful for the things that you do for us in Christ. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.